Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Stephen DeSangeri as a guest. I would describe him as mostly a concerned citizen. I think that is a much needed talk to have about everything that's going on. Besides that, he also has a long career in activism, follows gestalt therapy, and also did some guidance in circus work. A lot of interest and a lot of things that he does to change the world for the better. What I'm most concerned in with right now is how have you been dealing as a concerned citizen the last year, almost year and a half during this uh, COVID crisis? I guess I went through a lot of uh, phases. It took me not that much. I guess it took me a month and a half or something to really feel that things weren't as dramatic and as accidental as was com- constantly propagated. I went to a lot of phases. First of all, I think it took me quite some time to go into the rabbit hole. I think mm-hmm. I was afraid of losing my mind because that was what everybody else was saying. And I was also quite sensitive for the signals of, let's say, some of my former left-wing activist friends that mm-hmm. were constantly almost like an Agent Smith telling me, like, don't go there, don't cross that border, do not question authority. And it, it took me some time, but I, I dug into it. And I, I, I felt more and more, especially through live talks with a lot of people, that actually I was not, of course not, I was not mad at all. I was not a kind of bourgeois that was falling into outright pitfalls or whatever, I kept my sane mind. And at this point, I must say today, I am quite uh, frustrated and angry because of what the government announced as so-called easements of the measures, which are (laughs) no easements at all. But I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm just like really angry, also really pissed because my job as a group facilitator, Mm -hmm. as a trainer is destroyed for more than a year. It's just completely destroyed. And that is also, that's, well, that is part of, of my anger, let's say. But it goes, of course, much beyond uh, my personal self-interest. Yeah, I'm fascinated about what you witnessed with your left-wing friends, because I actually witnessed the exact same thing. I mean, I graduated in sociology, which is kind of like the hive of left, extreme left thinking, especially nowadays. I was into hip-hop, which was all about diversity, tolerance, fight to power for like 16 years. And when I started going in what you called like the rabbit hole of asking some questions about, let's say, the narrative about climate change, the narrative about immigration, the narrative about everything that's being told right now, they indeed turned into Agent Smiths, which is a bit like, you know, voices of the system. You can have a perfectly fine conversation with someone and chilling and you're all on the same side. And then as soon as you touch certain topics, they change into Agent Smith, you know, when they attack you, you know, like Neo, the new, the individual and the one, the independent thinker, you're being attacked by someone who suddenly takes over the narrative of the matrix of the system. And then suddenly there's no room for dialogue anymore, or they push you in a corner like, oh, he's a conspiracy thinker or he's going like alt-right, which I'm not at all, but it seems that you can't go into that territory especially in the left wing, 
Because as soon as you talk about those things, you're being seen as an enemy or there's a lot of hostility. Absolutely. I, I, I follow this. I must say I am still... I still feel loyal. I, in, mm-hmm. in this, throughout the year, I've been questioning myself a lot in how far I can still identify myself with a more kind of left-wing vision. And I, I do have the feeling that the values that I have been following, I still follow the same values. I am still a staunch believer in, let's say, global justice, in mm-hmm. equal rights for everybody, in, in solidarity. I am 100% against racism, sexism, and stuff like that. But of course, I've learned that that the divide, I think how it's propagated, definitely also by left-wing academics, the divide between left and right, it's somewhere it's it doesn't fit anymore in, into my system. It's like there needs to be a kind of constant polarization with value system of right-wing people. And I know quite some right-wing people who are loving parents and, mm-hmm. and they want to save nature and they are against uh, capitalism and against nuclear weapons and what, what have you not. So I'm still defining a bit how I am. So in certain spaces, I would say I, I don't follow the binary anymore between left-wing and right-wing. But at the same time, I do find it extremely important not to follow certain paths towards fascism that I identify with a part of, of let's say, alt-right. Mm-hmm. More and more, I'm identifying it actually also with part of, of extreme left. So I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm politically a bit confused there. Yeah, yeah. I, I never thought that the desire for authoritarianism was so strong with some of my former left-wing comrades. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still in the surprise phase. I, I haven't, I cannot yet completely explain it for myself. And I find this process very interesting because you would be amazed by how many people who identify themselves as like left-wing also suddenly question some things about the current left-wing or the liberals like the American liberals. I mean, my parents grew up with anti-war, equality, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, love, happiness, and standing up for them. That kind of left. But if you see the left right now and what they're standing for, cancel culture. Fact-checking, censoring opinions, being very triggered, not being able to dialogue. And that authoritarian tendencies you see right now, it's, I feel that the left has gone more to the left or an identity politics kind of left that more and more people seem right or extreme right, while a lot of things that I have would be more right-wing or more conservative. But what does conservative mean? To conserve to find certain values and standards essential for a livable society. And that is also the question that I mostly have right now. What of the old society or the society we had before, we want to conserve. But as soon as you question that and you don't follow the authoritarian narrative from the government right now, you're being labeled as alt-right or conspiracy theorist, etc. I see that kind of tactics and the change within the left of the left that I used to admire, which was when I talk about hip hop, public enemy, like fight the power, you know? Absolutely. That was what it was about, you know? I, I follow you and it's, it's I'm actually, I'm, I'm thinking so much about how is it possible that part of the, the left and the left-wing community is like being taken hostage by where I'm at at this moment is that it's like there are a few values in front of them. And these values have become complete stereotype, you know, like this idea of we have to be in solidarity 
I don't understand it. You know, of course, I am also in solidarity. Solidarity does not mean only focus on the virus or only focus on total lockdowns. I, so there is this thing that I'm also questioning mm-hmm. myself, my own drives for the last years. Like, was I that simplistic? Was I just like running for the victory of acquiring some pure form of value that I could touch? Is that it? Because if if it's only that, then it's 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 a joke. It's it's a complete joke. Milan Kundera would call it, I think, the romantics of rebellion, something like that. A very mm-hmm. bourgeois idea, a very simplistic idea of being on the moral higher ground or something without critique, without really looking at reality, without practicing life, without dialoguing. If you do not dialogue with people, how can you say anything about society or about Yeah, life? and often that is something that I see. They fall in love with the package, but they don't look at the content. They love like what it sounds like, looks like, feels like, tastes like. But when you delve into it, and that was also humbling for me and also a shock of my former, more left-wing self. I mean, I could preach about tolerance. I could preach about, you know, Islam and against racism, etc. I still hold those values there, but I'm all about mutual responsibility. I lived in Muslim neighborhoods for more, almost 10 years. And I also saw problems within the Muslim community, which doesn't mean that it's all their problem, but I saw that there were issues with it. I looked at climate change and the narrative, and I saw some holes in it or other sides, which maybe is a bit confronting to my very clear black and white worldview, but I was willing to dance with different perspectives. And that also gave a bit of a shock, like, damn, that's very clear perspective that I have about it's all the problem of racism, it's all climate change, it's all this. It's much more nuanced than this. And there are certain opinions that can be told or or not being put into the limelight. But I was willing to do that. While a lot of people, they stay like safe and only look at the package and preach something that looks nice. But when you look at reality, it's actually much more complex than that or darker, or there's much more aspects that that simple-minded way of looking at it. I completely follow you and it 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 scares me also a lot. I guess I'm not the only one. I've I've been reading the the last two books of Klaus Schwab for instance mm-hmm. from World Economic Forum. And if I look at that book, if I read that book through the lens of a naive left-wing idealistic uh, world-changing person, they can actually fall for it. It's like these these values have been incorporated now in a kind of new world order where along the way that it can become harsher and harsher and harsher, but you will have a kind of close-knit left-wing community that sees them as a kind of moral avant-garde of society, and that will follow it, that will say people need to stay in home in the home because of climate change, or mm-hmm. we need to protect the, the poor, we need to protect the weak from their own freedom, stuff like that. It's, it is crazy. And I must say... After all these years, I am getting more and more back to my personal anarchist perspective, <laughs> which I think it does show a way out, actually. Yeah. Can you define what anarchy is? Because people have a misplaced conception about what anarchy actually means. They, they yeah. think it means chaos, but that's not yeah. what it means. No, no, no. It's also it's about order, of course. And it can never be let's say, a, a definite politics, political structure. You know, it, anarchism is a way of looking at the world. It's a, a way of relating with each other. It's a, a way of creating uh, stuff. 
taking the freedom, taking initiative, associating with uh, like-minded people. Yeah, oh, there's there's so much. Also, I think, and that's maybe a negative way, a constant, the, the firm belief almost that too much power will always corrupt. Mm-hmm. I think that is also a very, very important one. I am, for one, in all my uh, trainings I do uh, with groups, I am the first that says that we need power. We need leadership, but leadership does not mean that all the power goes into one person or in one group. Leadership is really about saying, hey, I have this this idea. I want to take this initiative. Are there any more people? I'm I'm not uh, afraid to lead this this part, you know, of, of, of our journey. I see an infantilization of the treatment of citizens that almost any decision-making power and personal responsibility is taken away and they're treated like children that they can't even make their own common sense, healthy decisions. While I think a healthy society, healthy community is also a community that stands up for itself, think critically, has debate about things, takes personal responsibility. It's almost like it's all being taken away to the mommy state, the caretaker, and they will decide for me and I will just listen because I can't think for myself or make up my own mind. When you say that, I immediately think in in my groups, the and a lot of times when I work for, for one day or two days or five days with a group, there's a lot of shyness in the beginning. There's a lot of shyness to open up, to speak firmly. But then through the facilitation, through making a safe group, you see people really owing up to their opinions, owing up to their desires, their needs. And what you have is there had there is complete change. Very weak, shy people can become warriors in half a day and saying, this is where I stand. And I respect you for your other stance, but energetically, everything changes. Like, And I mean, everything changes energetically. The moment that people start talking from their own voice and their own needs. And we have, of course, an educational system that, that disciplines this, huh? that, that makes it impossible from kindergarten on to do that. So it is actually what, what I have seen and felt this year is that I guess my biggest enemy for change are actually the intellectuals, people that actually give more power to concepts in their heads than through their dialogue, their relationship with the the world around them. So what I see now is a lot of people that are not so highly educated and not so disciplined that they speak much easier the truth. They will make much easier a stance. It doesn't make it easy for them because we have a society that just crushes the weak or the financially uh, weak or whatever. But it's much more easy now to engage in, in, in dialogue with all kinds of people. But the hardest are the intellectuals, the people that actually really think that the concepts in their head, their ideology, it, it just darks their view of the reality around them sometimes. I do know this is a caricature and I do know this is only a few parts of the academics but they are the loudest part and in a way they have, I don't know how, they have the biggest moral authority. Yeah, I gave lectures about this in Belgium about culture Marxism and there's also this nonsense that it's a conspiracy theory. It's not at all a conspiracy theory. It was uh, started by Gramsci in his prison notebooks and then developed more by the Frankfurt Schule, Marcuse, Horkheimer and uh, those kind of people. And what happened after the 60s is that Gramsci talked about the march through the institutions. We have to change and provide the Marxist revolution, the cultural one from the inside out. 
And that went to the cultural institutions, which are the universities, the education, the movies, etc. So a lot of things that we see right now, especially in like Western Europe, but even in America and other places, is people are being fed that specific cultural Marxist narrative in the universities, in education, in the movies. And that becomes their sole way of viewing the world because that is what they have been fed. A lot of university professors like Sam Brocken, you know, the last straw was appearing on my podcast. They're politicized. They are state financed. So a lot of these state financed institutions, universities, the media, they are just puppets of the government. And the government are mostly puppets from corporate interests the big, big media, big pharma, big finance, all these bigs, et cetera. And it just trickles down through all the perception molding institutions. And that is why so many citizens don't realize that the way how they see the world right now is mostly molded by the narrow perspective of reality that is defined by the cultural institutions. That is why I'm also amazed with these intellectuals that they can't think critically or ask questions, which I think intellectuals professors should do, but they just mimic that culture Marxist, that very narrow-minded narrative that is being fed to them. I follow you, but I still feel a lot of resistance against the use of the word cultural Marxism. Maybe it's because it's I, I hear it a bit too much within alt-right uh, movements, that is, that is possible, but also I guess because I have, I am still and I, I don't. I will not let it loose already. But I am still inspired by people like uh, Chomsky, Alinsky, Jean Sharp, Gramsci, Marcuse. I think mm-hmm. they do have a lot to contribute, and I do believe that a lot of their thinking is. I think that thinking. I analyze them. Right. A good thing to read a bit about the political correctness and cultural Marxism is "Repressive Tolerance" by Marcuse. The problem I see with these intellectuals is that they define the process politically and not just as a process. Because if in culture Marxism, you have to lessen the dominant voices and you have to have the minority voices speak out and give them a forum, I understand, but that's a dialectic. That is like a pendulum. What happens a lot with these left-wing thinkers is, oh, it is a good principle when it's being used by the left. It is a bad principle when it's being used by the right. So letting minorities speak in the 20s when, you know, it was mostly white Western male, I understand in the 20s, yes. But when you look at now, what's the minority opinion? Who can't speak their mind? It's actually more on the conservative and the right side. So in an ironic way, when I would use Marcuse and the culture Marxist, their principles on the current day narrative, we would actually have to lend more voices to conservatives and right-wing voices because they are the one being silenced. But that is what strict culture Marxist left-wing thinkers don't like because it only applies to the left and when it applies to us. And that's what I don't like, not using it as a principle, but using it as an ideology. Does that make sense? It, it does. Uh, a, lo- a lot of what you're saying uh, d- does make sense. Maybe I can say something more about two things that for me, two principles, values, that for me, I find already quite some years, I find really crazy. And that is that left-wing academics are like extremely afraid of talking about, really talking about community and really talking about tradition. It's like they say, yes, mm-hmm. but this is, this is right-wing stuff. But community and tradition are, if you don't have it, I think it was Durkheim, a sociologist or mm-hmm. another one that says, if you do not have a sense of where you belong, 
you do not have a sense of where you come from and what kind of values you can give through the next generations. If you don't have that, you are in a state of anomia. You are in this uh, kindergarten state where you ask the teacher, please give, tell me what to do because I am empty inside. I don't belong anywhere. I don't know where I come from. I don't know where I'm going to. So this has always been a really big surprise for me. How is it possible that pride of your locality, pride of your values, pride of your the generations before you, that that is not part of also a left-wing construction of, of life of so, or society. I hope I... Yeah, I know what you understand. And it's also yeah. the concept of boundaries. To make a livable society, you have to set like boundaries and the left would be like all about, no, no, no boundaries, openness and tolerance. But then when I look intellectually or right now in the COVID thing, like they set a lot of boundaries <laughs> and they are actually the most intolerant of. And I know a lot of people say like, hey, wear your mask, take your vaccine. That's fine. You can do what you want. They give like freedom to the individual, self-ownership. But the other way around, I see a lot of intolerant opinions and not respecting other people's choices. So I see a bit of a disconnect between what they preach and what they actually practice. Yeah. I have a small theory about that. It's, I, I read it. It's not, it was an article from the 30s, I think, by Laura Pearls, one of the, the founding mothers of Gestalt uh, mm -hmm. Therapy. And she already, so she, she narrowly escaped the, the Nazism to go to South Africa and United States. And she, she wrote an article on what happens when you try to pacify a whole society, when you have a kind of education system and propaganda system that puts a lot of value on obedience. Because what I hear from some of my left-wing, old left-wing comrades is that their moral sense of moral superiority comes from a kind of a, a almost uh, Zen monk-like state of we can, we will survive this without complaining. We will be extremely obedient to what is necessary for us if we want to be good citizens. Now, this is the what you get in kindergarten from two, three years old. Be obedient. Be I don't know. In in Flemish we say brav. Be a be good boy. Be a good, good girl. boy. Be complacent. Yeah. yeah. What Laura Pulse is saying, like if you put so much pressure on a society that people from very young age need to be very uh, complacent, what you get is a kind of energy that is stopped within a life energy. Aggression is also life energy. It's, it's biting. It's, it's saying no or yes or I go there. If you do not have that, it can only come out through a very ugly kind of hate. So what we see with this very polite, decent, some of left-wing academics, is that they have true hate when they talk about people that in their minds are right-wing or people in their minds that don't follow the COVID measures. It's almost like they're envious of people who still stand for something and take personal responsibilities. Like, I'm a good boy and I'm obedient and you're just speaking out, how dare you? You should suffer as much as me or you should sacrifice as much as me. As some people who wear a mask, like, yes, it doesn't make sense, but you think you can just do what you want. You just have to go through the same pain and nonsense as me, you know? But it's an, an envy that will always be unconscious. It will never be owed up. The moment they owe up the envy, they will change as a person, I think. It's, they, they cannot make this envy visible, but of course, it's, it's complete en enviness. Of course it is. Of course it is. Because when I look at these intellectuals and professors, like you should help people think, you should be an authority. But if you're just a puppy of the 
state and uh, the deep state and the politics, like how much respect do you have for yourself? How much empowerment can you give to your students when you just have to be a puppy and stay within, you know, the very narrow opinions you can talk about and what you can preach like that. That is, there's such a crisis of authority going on right now in media, in academics, in politics, in medicine. And all these people obey and don't speak out. And if they speak out, they have to often suffer these consequences. But this is what I'm amazed at, how people can actually condone this so much. Like I made a Facebook live video about this. The most important question is like, you think this is temporary? You're contributing to a societal model in the future. And you want to ask yourself, is this way of living, is this model of society something I want to live in. And people still have this mistaken idea, like, no, it's temporary, we will go back. But they don't realize by not voicing their dissent and taking a stand, they're actually contributing to a future that actually deep down inside they don't like. But it's a very strong mechanism that withholds them from, from expressing it. I think also as a, a therapist in, and becoming a therapist, I'm working a lot on shame and internalization. And I think shame has a lot to do with it. A shame of if I express myself, I will fall out of the mercy of my fellow human beings. I will get kicked out of uh, human society. It's huge. And, you know, just read newspapers day and day and day after day. It's the same message. Like if you express yourself in a non-conformatist way, you will be excluded from society as social beings that, that equals death, that equals death. And I think we, we, maybe we talked about it already is that the only ones that do not feel so much that shame are the self-employed people right now. Like how many people in our society are dependent of the money that comes in, the money that comes in conditionally. I think a lot about that, you know? Yeah, and there's a reverse way of treating people right now. You are sick until proven healthy. You know, you are guilty until you prove you're innocent, which is a complete reversal of what it actually should be. It gets you in a kind of mental paralysis, I think. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a kind of hypnosis. And, and the end result, I guess, of, of, of more than 100 years experimenting with people, observing people. I've questioned myself just one, no, two years ago. Like, what are they doing with all these results of Facebook? You know, like Facebook mm -hmm. has now been monitoring billions of people for quite a few years. So with their artificial intelligence, their alg algorithms, they can actually predict the kind of memes that are in our head, the simple messages that are in our head. What makes us stick? What makes us say no or yes or whatever? And I, I thought they would preserve it maybe for 2030, but it's 2021. <laughs> and it's uh, the social engineering is, is full on. Huh? It's, it's full on. Yeah, they have been doing that for a long time to be people increasingly dependent on technology. So that way their behavior can be tracked and data can be collected and data is power. And when you have that data, you can predict people, their behavior, plus you can silence a lot of their identity and their voices because most of it is now online with the measures that you can meet in real life. So there is a lot of aspects being tackled right now that stops organic resistance like critical thinking. And when you talk before about, and we talked before about the whole thing that sounds good on the surface and all these nice terms, you know, great reset, build back better, you know, you're going to be happy and own nothing. The same thing happens because you mentioned 2030 
have the sustainable development goals, which they want to do in a decade of action from 2020 to 2030. And it had all these great slogans like erase poverty, you know, and a sustainable planet and build long lasting community. Nobody can be against that, you know. Educate everyone is also one of them. Education for everyone. But then when you delve into like what they actually do, then you see that a lot of aspects, perceptual, the food chain, the financial chain, like all these things are going to be controlled by players who have a huge stake in the game and with them controlling it even more and limiting what you can do, access, freedom. They have even more power over almost every aspect of your life, your behavior and your perception. And it's genius, the logics that they uh, deploy, you know, like it, when you when you go to the website of uh, World Economic Forum, for instance, mm-hmm. on the Great Reset, their whole political ideological idea is based on the fact that now with the world becoming a global village and they say it's irreversible, now we have global risks. We have pandemics, we have climate change, we have cyber attacks, we have migration. And the, the whole logic is, and I understand it that far, I understand it. The logic is, We cannot wait for national governments. We cannot wait for local democracy to tackle this because it's going to be too late. So we need efficient tackling, efficient controlling of the population so the population can make sure there is not too much forest going down, there's not too much climate change and what have you not. And nobody is talking about thinking how we can have a kind of transparency, kind of democratic structures that are also uh, supranational for them from time to time. I have this book here. Supranational institutions. For people yeah. who see the video, they will see the book. It's called COVID, The Great Reset by Klaus Schwab. And when you read that book, this book was published in July. Probably has been written it like for a month. And he was already saying in that book, we will never go back to normal. And the end page is like, yeah, COVID is not so serious as it is, but still we have to do something about it. So when you're going to take a look at the World Economic Forum, they just have members and partnerships where you have to make X billion dollars and pay like a membership. It's not like a non-governmental organization, which often are sponsored by governments, by the way, hashtag irony. Yeah. And that is the most powerful of the powerful, the richest of the rich. And they're going to say that capitalism doesn't work and they're going to make the world a better place. And they're going to say like, yeah, now we are going to change the world for the better. But where is the individual citizens, the communities, to actually have input about this, what it means? It's like manufacturing a global crisis, making it much worse than it is, to then say like, yeah, we need global governments. We need corporate governance where, where everything is decided globally because this pandemic has shown that the individuals and the countries can't do it anymore. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think like, yeah, a great restart, a great revisit of values, that's fine. But who is determining those terms and who is framing the conversation and perception? And when you see that these people have a big stake in the game, I mean, the richest of the rich has having enhanced their wealth with more than 3 million during this crisis. And they're going to make the decisions to create a better world. It's like, yeah, you want to create a better world, but you got a lot of more power, money, influence and control from this crisis. So it wasn't that bad in the end for you guys, you know? Can you please explain that to some of my older left-wing comrades? Just this. It's incredible. I think we need to really make a kind of uh, narrative also. We we have to build another narrative. Eh? I, international cooperation is extremely important, but the, 
the the basis needs to be local autonomy, not not even state. You know, like we really have to rethink what is subsidiarity, what is personal freedom, and 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 from there on, and we're just neglecting it. You know, now it's COVID. In a in a few months, it's cyber attacks or it's climate change or it's a war in Ukraine or whatever. But there's always going to be this incentive of like, not now. Don't talk about local autonomy. Now we have to all have the noses in the same direction. You know, the seven billion people. It's yeah, and this is where you, this is where you unite the left and the right, and that frustrates me so much because I can be annoyed by the radical identity politics kind of left, but when we look at the manipulation, the abuse of power, the financial gain, I mean, both the right and the left, even the right who's all about capitalism, can see that their voice of opinion, you know, their freedom of speech is being limited. When you take a look at all the billionaires making a gigantic bunch of wealth, that pseudo-philanthropy of Bill Gates who actually created it to avoid taxes and then invested it in things that now is making him more money. I mean, yeah, I can also have that kind of philanthropy. I just invest in things and it's going to make me money in the long run. Like, yeah, that's real, like philanthropy. So I don't, yeah, we're being divided and conquered with the old strategy, not seeing GameStop was one of the things that they saw. Like, oh my God, people are rigging the game for their own benefit. And when the citizens are actually wanted to have a piece of the pie or want something to say, oh, no, they're cut out. So we see that we have like a mutual enemy or a mutual goal to, to, to walk towards. Even with George Floyd and his racism, et cetera, we could tackle people who abuse this polarization, this constant conflicts, these constant crises where we don't get out of it. We have nothing sustainable, but it's being used to keep us polarized and busy while we have much bigger goals and common enemies to fight against. Completely. And I'm, I'm wondering, I really try to see how is this possible that in 2021, we are still going for this left-right game, this fighting under each other, this kicking downwards, you know, like the more there's going to be a, a movement against uh, the corona measures because the movement is growing. Uh, immensely, they are still framing it as a kind of right-wing stuff. You know, all the newspapers. This is fascist. If you oppose, if you oppose Bill Gates, you are fascist. And I don't understand it. And I'm really thinking about. For me, this is part of the corruption, corruption of the hearts and minds. I'm trying to do my homework. You know, in really thinking, like how can it work? You know, like today I read the newspapers. It is all the same narrative. The narrative is yesterday you got some easements of the measures, but they are only temporary and, and maybe they are not good and whatever. I don't understand where does it come from? You know, why do journalists speak like that? Why do policemen mm -hmm. follow the orders? Why do people in the hospitals keep on being silenced? Why do scientists uh, keep on being silenced? The more you see the system and you, the more you see where the money goes to, you only need a bunch of people to control the, the expression of billions of people. If you just look at the measures, you know, who is deciding this? It is not the fake clowns in government that are actually mm -hmm. discussing the fundamentals of, of the, the corona. So it's really up there. It's, you know, a WHO, but even within WHO, it's just a few people. It's not the scientists debating there. So I find this really incredible, you know, the, with the centralization of money in the last decades, you get a kind of centralization of opinion also. Yeah, I read a book from Hannah Arendt about totalitarianism, and that applies both to like the left Stalin as the right, like Hitler. It doesn't apply to one side of the spectrum. Exactly. But when I take a look at a lot of things that are going on right now, I see the same totalitarian principles out there. 
but it's almost like you live in Stalin's Russia, you live in that bubble and you think like, no, 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 we have an enemy or great leader totally makes sense. And I'm looking from an historical perspective and I'm saying like, dudes, don't you see what's happening? It's like propaganda. It's one-sided. There's no room for critical debate. There's cancel culture and there's like book burning. When in history has that been a good thing? And I'm, I'm really amazed how people can't see it because it's so open out in the open or well, everything that's like going on that I'm thinking like, don't you see that it's like very narrowly framed and everybody who steps outside of it is being outcast and is being like character assassinated. That is something that boggles my mind because it's so strict. It's so clear. It's so black and white. It's so one-sided. The narrative you've been fed by the media, because I look from the outside, I'm like, dude, you're kind of like pushing it. You've been doing this for a year and a half. Like it, it's so clear right now, but it's like people are in this bubble of this fear state, this war state against an enemy that they just believe the great leader, you know? I Yesterday I had a, a small vision on with, with the new measures of the government. Finally, after, after 14 months, they are allowing spiritual communities to come together outside. Maximum of 50 people with a lot of social distancing and, mm-hmm. and I, I guess masks also. But I was really envisioning a, I don't know, maybe in a, a month or so, we go to the parks in, in Ghent and in Brussels and in Antwerp and wherever, and we establish spiritual ceremonies, 50 people in the park, not too much distance. And we work a whole day spiritually on finding, locating our fear, locate, locating the fear within ourselves, the fear that is disconnecting ourselves from our emotions and from our fellow beings. I don't know. Would it work, you think? I'm a bit hopeful in the future about, I don't know if it will be entire society, like maybe a parallel community, whatever. We can talk about it a bit later. But I think that we are awakening and we've been awakened. And what I think it has to happen with those people is they will need to have a root awakening. That's the only thing, how they can like... Because you see the effects and the ripple effect of all the measures that's going to manifest itself during the coming years, maybe a decade. And they need to have a rude awakening. And then they're going to have that shock of like, shit, you know, like what the Germans had, you know, like, fuck, we didn't know or whatever, you know, and then live with it. They're going to have a shock of the society they created and what they condone. But I'm less mild than the Germans who said, like, we didn't know, because right now it's basically you choose not to know. You choose to not have another's perspective. I mean, you can disagree with what I want, but I'm like, let's let's take a look at what your perspective is. And I see what the mainstream perspective is. I can't avoid it. I see it every day. But they're not even wanting to look at another way to view it or other things. And that's just strange, you know, like not being willing to, you don't have to go down the rabbit hole, but just check the entrance of the rabbit hole and some pamphlets of the rabbit hole. <laughs> that is something that I don't understand. You know, I was always curious about dancing with truth and, and learning new things. Hmm. I understand. I, I can only testify for myself in April last year that I was really afraid of going into that rabbit hole. I was mm-hmm. really afraid of being touched by insanity. And that is a huge fear for a lot of people. So it took me quite some time. And I must say, I was really inspired. I was reading the book, The Red Book by uh, Carl Gustav Jung. That is, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is really talking about what happens with your soul, what happens with your spirit. Once you, you, you are able 
to distance yourself from conformity, to distance yourself of what the other wolves are crying. I'm not going to talk about sheep because then people get angry, mm-hmm. but the other wolves in the forest, what they are crying and howling at. And you say, no, I, I feel differently. I, I choose other options. And it's a, it's a huge spiritual step, actually. And from there on, from this difference, from this individuality, reaching out to other people is, is great. It's great. But it is not what we are educated to do. On the contrary, I think. Yeah, Yeah, that's the hero's journey, leaving the familiar ground and then going through the unknown, the abyss, the water, the forest, and then, you know, finding some external fulfillment and then finding your own gifts, your talents, and bringing back the boon to the tribe that you left, you know. And and losing stuff in the hero's journey. We have to say bye to certain beliefs we had. And you're totally right. Like people almost want to be led, want to be a follower. I mean, obedience is beaten into them through like the education system. It's like crawling through the obedience through the education system as like a nonconformist as me and maybe you were, you know, because that is not being condoned. So yeah, most people are waiting for salvation, not realizing that salvation is within themselves or at least in their family. And that is so frustrating. The, The biggest way how people give their power away is 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 thinking that they don't have any and they're like yeah just a little yeah it will soon be over yeah but 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 soon it will pass i'm like dudes you've been living in this for a year and three months you still believe that they are gonna have your best interest in mind and give your freedom back like this is so absurd yeah actually we are getting now a change in narrative there is the bloomberg magazine a few years a few uh, weeks ago they had this opinion piece, preparing ourselves for permanent pandemics. So now we see that this whole narrative, you know, the narrative has been changed already a few times from crushing, from flattening the curve to crushing the curve to killing the virus, zero COVID. And now we are getting ready psychologically, mentally to say, okay, this will be a state of emergency for the rest of my life. Because even if we get this COVID-19 smashed, there's going to be a very soon another virus. And it's, it's incredible, you know, like to adapt on this. And there's already quite some intellectuals already saying like, this is a, a new phase. You know, this is, we need strong leaders. We need a strong World Bank. We need a strong military to protect us. And then you come, then you come for me, which is also maybe in my, I could program it in my spiritual week, seminars that we will mm-hmm. do on mass scale soon. It's not only about locating the fear but also contacting our own death. We need to talk yeah. about dying. We need to talk about, yeah. you know... Uh, and being alive. And Feeling that comes alive. With it. No, that comes with it. First, you need to, to really visualize your death, and then you will know what it means to be alive. I think, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I think it's there's a meaning crisis and a fulfillment crisis. So because of people, their inner void and emptiness... Big People one. don't have anything to stand for. They're afraid of that, not realizing that that is what makes us human. And this is a Faustian deal that I see with the transhumanists. They want to sacrifice their aliveness, their meaning and fulfillment for the false virtue of comfort and the years that you live. But it's not about you know the years that you live. It's about how you live and in what way and what kind of value. So this is Faustian deal to become eternal as a shell of yourself we're actually already there i think i think in the last decades a lot of people have been i think everybody under 60 has already this kind of mindset or or a majority 
Yeah, I have that. I, I sometimes have like, hey, do you know that they're tracking and they're trying to do this? And but you know what the main reaction is? Yeah, but they're already doing that. It's like this kind of apathy, like, yeah, they're doing it so they can even make it worse. Like, why? You can still say not further. You shall not pass. Like, yeah, but I already have my phone. It's like, yeah, they're going to have a chip. And it's like, yeah, I already have my phone. Like, whoa, you just have them keep on putting the dial higher and that's fine. Yeah. You're not going to say like, stop and not further. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, at the same time, I believe this mechanism only works when most of the communication is vertical communication. It's uh People mimicking what I heard on the radio, what I see on television. I believe so much, and I must say, I'm I'm quite. I feel privileged that I ha did have the chance during Corona times to work with a few groups, groups of people mm -hmm. that are actually for the first time, sometimes in their life, or for the first time in the Corona crisis, talking about what Corona and all these measures do to them. And what you get, if you get people together, five people, 10 people, 20 people, you get them together and you create an atmosphere where they can show this vulnerability and say, maybe I feel shy to say it, but I hate some measures or I feel very angry or I feel very, I, I'm in pain because I cannot hug people because I cannot see people. Then everything changed. I think we, I do think we can create rebellion in people, seeds of rebellion in half a day. By just listening to other people and by hearing other people being honest and authentic, you have no longer that fear of being excluded because you know that you are not the only one. So your shame is disappearing. Shame is all about the idea that what I have inside of me has no place in the outside world. The moment we hear other fellow human beings talking about the same pain, the same emotions that are very much, you know, put down, the moment we create this, this spheres, this fora, everything changes. And it can go very, very quickly. I'm quite sure. I was just an adult when in the Eastern Europe, a lot of the regimes just tumbled down, you know, like in 1988, everybody was saying it would last decades. And a year later, it, it became falling down, you know. What came after wasn't always that nice, but it was really interesting to see that no authority is built in stone. You know, like I, if there's one name I would like to give in this podcast is Gene Sharp. Gene Sharp worked a lot on civil disobedience and on how totalitarian societies or at least dictatorships, how they just collapse. And for me, one of the things there is getting into contact with your own uh, desires, your own needs, your own emotions, but also, and this is one of the works that I try to do, is to question the morality of the authorities right now. For instance, there is this huge idolatry or adoration of some experts. Mm -hmm. And these experts, you know, if you talk about what you think of Mark Farans, what you think about Stephen van Huck, they are the modern priests. They are like yeah. the, the people without sins in total virtue, and they have the book of truth with them. The moment we can show, and I will say it again and say it again, people like Mark van Rans, like Van Damme, like Vlieger, like Holsens, they have so much conflict of interests. There is so much reason for them to lie. There is so much mm -hmm. reason for them to go in the direction of propagating vaccination policy, mass vaccination, mass testing. They are earning huge amounts of money, sometimes for themselves, sometimes for their colleagues, their uh, research department, and what have you not. The same with, with the government, although nobody uh, believes the government anymore. The same for journalists. We need to really 
you know, we, we need to attack these authorities and denounce them and show them they are not, it's not integrity. It's not authenticity. It's lies. We have to expose the lies. I feel I get emotional from it. But you have it, to get emotional from yeah. it because that's often how you have to talk about your emotions and frustrations. You shouldn't hold it in because they blame us from being like psychopaths and you help my grandma die in the hospital. And I'm like, <laughs> what, what, what about these children that go to school that way with their masks who can't hug, who can't play, who can't kiss? What about this baby there in her carriage and her mother is in mouth masks and that baby misses 80% of the body communication that is so important to have a strong attachment with their mothers? What about people still wanting to meet other people in the future when they have to be tagged and traced and they wonder like, hmm, should I go there because I might get infected and have to be quarantined? So I might just stay home and isolate myself. What about the lack of humanity there? What about those people who have a girlfriend in another country and they haven't been able to see them? People who committed suicide, who are like depressed, you know, like relationship spousal abuse. What about those hard birds that fell between a father and their son because they have been locked on for a long time and they've been annoyed and projecting all those angry words on it, each other besides other trauma on a psychological level of not connecting with people, you know, not having deep relationships. Where is the heart there? Where is the discussion there? I'm not inhuman by looking at things from a bigger perspective, but they play it in a way that you're a psychopath or do you want those people to die or do you deny that COVID exists? No, but it's definitely much less <laughs> than, they, than they project it to be. And there's a lot other aspects that are detrimental to society and people that are just not being talked about. I, I completely follow you. Two things I really want to say is, when I hear you say this, I feel myself, I am mustering energy to stay angry and not to start crying. But I could, because I could very easily cry with the things you are saying. You know, it's, it's incredible. But we, I think we need the, the energy also up sometimes and also have, at the one hand, show our anger. And at the other hand, show our, our deep concern and our sorrow with friends, you know, and, and, and with people close to our heart. But the other thing I wanted to say, and I think that is... I've been talking with quite some people and I've, I've been visiting a lot of people. I didn't always comply, <laughs> but I'm not going to say yeah, too yeah, much yeah, on that yeah, publicly. Yeah. But it's very interesting to talk with people that were already quite awakened from the start of the crisis to see which kind of characters are these people and what is their history. And I must say, I think more than half of the people that were really awakened in the beginning, they are people that have survived abusive relationships. Mm. People that survived a family relationship or a love relationship with psychopaths, with narcissistic people that, you know, they survived the gaslighting because what you are saying about this argument of, you know, you could kill your, my grandma. This is pure gaslighting. This is like taking all away all your power all your pride, all your life energy. It's what narcissists and sociopaths, psychopaths do all the time. It's almost impossible to imagine that such people exist. So the only people who know the system is people that survived it, that for many, many, many years were victims of it and in some way or another found a way to liberate themselves from this gaslighting, this mechanic to, to just take away all the power and, and, and pride of people. And this is what's happening all the time. You know, like killing the grandmother is, is the perfect, but I, I guess we could name 100 variations of killing your grandmother uh, that is being used constantly. 
I totally relate with what you said, because one of the reasons that I also stand up for freedom of speech is because I had to stand up a lot in my youth for my voice. It's like, why can't you be like everybody else? Like, you know, stop thinking this way. Don't touch that. Don't say that. Don't do that. And I was like, yeah, but I'm too curious. Like I would denounce myself. I would, I would just be an automaton without any decision to give this up. So that created kind of rebellion also exhausting to do it but it's like yeah you know like i feel this is me i feel this is worthwhile so i was used to standing up for myself and going against the norm exactly and i i must think about erich from he he's mm-hmm. quite left-wing but a very interesting uh, <laughs> he was also <laughs> part of the frankfurt issue yeah yeah but i i still you know like I'm, I'm still using this guy because i think it was a great human being or at least a great scientist also and he's showing how many people actually that feel themselves disconnected from mainstream thinking, they choose insanity sometimes. They choose insanity because if you choose insanity and you look at uh, people like they are just puppets or aliens or zombies or whatever, the pain of the disconnection stops. So there's a lot of us who um, just went into depression, addiction, insanity, and it's the really tough ones like us who remains in connection, I think, with people. Not with everybody, but we are staying in connection. But it's it's a hard job. As social beings, it's a hard job. And we are psychologically bombarded with this gaslighting all the time. And that is why, and that is one of the things that I can uh, already be very uh, pleased with, is that there is a movement growing. There is a movement growing in Belgium under the radar. There is an underground movement growing. And one of them is, you know, people coming together in circles and keeping each other strong and high, you know, like that we can talk about our doubts, we can talk about the shame, we can talk about the disconnect, all the sorrow from old friends that that are shouting fascists at us. So I I believe this is so, so, so important, not only to meet through internet, but really feel each other life, you know, like with a few people from time to time get together and keep strong. Don't go in addiction. Don't go in insanity. Don't go in paranoia. These are really huge dangers. And we, we need to survive as human beings, as spiritual human beings that are strong because I think the world needs us. I think humanity at least needs us. Let's say it like that. I'm curious how you deal with this because it's something that I'm increasingly struggling with. My tolerance and my empathy for people who condone these measures and, you know, go with the vaccines and go with the masks, etc., it goes down because the more people do that, the more they put pressure on people who think differently and they attack my freedom. So it's a difficult balance between standing up for myself and tolerating their behavior because whether I like to or not, it has an impact, increasingly bigger impact and chance that I will also have to condone to them. So how do you deal with that? From day to day, I change. I can, (laughs) you know, like I've had my rants, definitely. We've all been through that, of course. What for me now works in a way, I think, is to see it also as a kind of spiritual challenge. A spiritual challenge of not only staying strong, but also diving deeper into the huge power that is within us. You remember this uh, picture of all the Nazis yeah. with their arm and this one guy <laughs> not doing it. By the way, I hope I hope you don't get censored because of this arm. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that. That was like sorry, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. This this guy that that stood there, and I do believe, I do believe, I do believe that it makes all the difference in the world. You know, I get so many messages from people, and I think you do too, 
that people are saying like how inspiring it is mm -hmm. to see people stand up and what also helps for me philip and it's a very personal one is that i do visualize i have on the 1st of january this year i decided to choose the path of public dissidency so i will not work in underground resistance or sabotaging or or using violence although tactically it can be interesting mm -hmm. and sometimes necessary i will not go there i will be a public dissident but that means that i want to visualize what it means if they take me to jail for instance if they take away my books if they take away my facebook account or my laptop or my income or whatever you know that's where i'm at right now not not as a martyr but this whole this anger towards people that are just following uh, the crowd i have it i use it but it doesn't make me stronger it just doesn't i i want to in a way keep the life energy i want to keep the keep it inside i do have this idea and maybe it's a false illusion but it's where i want to go is that well you know the the story about the emperor without clothes i guess yeah 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 yeah, yeah. one of my That's favorite Hans christian yeah episode. it is i can imagine for me that helps that when you are try to be pure in your intentions and heart that it it does vibrate i don't know i do this as a spiritual challenge i Sometimes I think just put me next to uh, the crow or uh, one of these plastic people without spines and ask people, you know, who who is more authentic? I am a sinner. I am not perfect. But God damn it, I try to speak my truth. I try to, you know, I have principles. I, I want to be honest. I really want to. And I think it is visual. It's, it's, it's visible. I think it's visible. Yeah. You know what is crazy when you ask about the effectiveness of distancing, of masks, of a lockdown, of a vaccine, a lot of these things actually are not proven. And then you ask people like, why Why does it work? Because they tell me so. But you've been having like all these measures for such a long time while well, it actually is not sufficient like backing up for it or not money being attributed to actually research if it works. If that doesn't make some bells go off or are some red flags like... That is just crazy. Like you're basing your opinion on what? Okay, because that's what been told to me. But if you actually do the research behind this, yeah. it's much more open-ended than they claim. So that is a huge red flag about everything that's going on right now. It's not settled at all. It's not clear at all. Maybe that is also a sign that we have to leave part of the rationality, that we are still rational beings, but uh, we will not convince people rationally. We will convince them maybe by looking them right straight in the eyes. By, by not, you know, it's like uh, dogs. Eh? It's all about the intention. You know, if you are afraid of dogs, they do like this. If you are not afraid. So I, I do believe that a lot of the people that are attacking me, for instance, that can only attack them from behind their laptop. Just put them in front of me. I will look in their eyes. But for that, we need to create human gatherings. I think this is the biggest act of rebellion now is people getting together in small groups and big groups. And then show, let's let's have the test. Let's have the, have the test who is vibrating energy, who is standing there on two feet, who is who is talking firmly. I know, I maybe it sounds a bit too, too spiritual for some people. No, 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 that's not that. It's about part. pride. It's about pride. It's about, you know, standing there, taking a position. Taking a goddamn physical position also. Sorry, it's a 
I'm emotional. <laughs> no, that's the good thing. That sounds like you don't do it because I pay you or you're being paid. No, I know that. Tell you what you want. You speak from the heart <laughs> with like, you know, a healthy conscience and common sense. So that's very powerful. Can you paint maybe a picture of what actually is behind everything that's like going on, what you learned from going in the rabbit hole? So people who want to have a little bit of an idea of what the future or plans could look like if it would go in the direction things are going right now i i made i did make a few articles uh, about that i think there's so much i don't know this is for me very important like mm -hmm. what i don't know i'm not going to speculate okay. about it and it is also in a way psychologically frightening you know it is mm -hmm. frightening to envision a world where the power is not in the institutions that the whole whole of your life you thought they were You know, there's so much behind us. And there's this, again, this, this fear of, of becoming insane, becoming, yeah, yeah, becoming really paranoid because I've seen it around me this year also with some people that are looking for answers desperately and then making up really wild stories. For me, one of the angles definitely is actually uh, what I've been doing. I consider myself as an uh, ultra-mondialist, anti-globalist for the last 20 mm -hmm. years or more. Mm -hmm. So from there on, it's this has always been my uh, perspective. You know, I think the uh, subcommandante Marcos from the EZLN Chiapas talks, made really strong text also about that on the neoliberal globalization and where it is going to and where... Uh, the money is accumulated more and more in the hands of a few. When you look again, Schwab is just one of the books, but I think the, the, the book that you just showed there, it really shows a bit the thinking for, for the next decades. And they call it, for instance, stakeholder capitalism, where I think the idea, and it's an idea that politically people will want to consume, is that we will get giga firms like Microsoft controls the software and Amazon controls the logistics mm -hmm. and Facebook controls the social communication and these guys and Musk controls the electrical power and the satellites and mm -hmm. so you have this these huge mega corporations and this idea is and this is what World Economic Forum tries to to convince us from is that there is a kind of stakeholder idea where you, where investors and where employees have power to change the politics of these firms. So where these firms become a kind of state within themselves. You know, it's the idea of self-regulation that I have been fighting for the last 20 years. And it's totally getting there. And we have an ideology, ideology within our government that 100% supports this. It's not only about the crow, it's also about Conor Rousseau, it's about Petra de Sutter, it's the whole left-wing or central thinkers, they are with this idea. They are saying there is no alternative. So I see huge firms and just getting rid of as many middle people as possible. So uh, as much people that are still self-employed, they need to disappear. All the money that's still sticks on a local level or a meso level it needs to go up it needs to go up and there you know the war that's not a new war that's the war they did i come from a farmer's family they are fighting small farmers for okay. 70 years already they are fighting small shopkeepers for 70 years in our society and, and you know what when you go in the rabbit hole because i made a challenge on my youtube channel and i was like a vegan for a year and a half but there are some truths that you don't want to acknowledge but i'm like open to truths 
and this is maybe is going to be a bit controversial. One of the reasons why Bill Gates is pushing veganism is when you have veganism, you take away the control of the meat and of the food market, and then you can artificially produce food in big corporations. So again, you have more control over the food supply. So you can have these great ideas. I'm also against pollution. I think we eat too much meat. We can eat more vegetables, 100%. But sometimes when you delve deeper into it, you also had that documentary about green technologies by Michael Moore, who's actually pretty left-wing, who also shown like the ugly truth behind it, if you're willing to look. So yes, it's, it's, it's confronting to realize it, but I'm willing to stare into it and then not completely go the opposite side, but have a more nuanced, realistic, pragmatic perspective. I totally follow that. Eh? And I, I, I think one of our, within the movement, what we need to do, I think, is, is really putting the focus on re resilience. There is a really nice political mantra that they are, for instance, using in, in Brazil, the landless farmers. It's about soberania alimentaria, the food sovereignty, the power of You know, the control over the food production and consumption needs to be as local as possible. Otherwise, you're, you're doomed, you know, like the Americans already know that also after the Second World War, you know, for a few years, you give food to certain countries. So they don't, there is no incentive to produce it themselves. And then you stop giving the food and you say, now, first, we have some demands and then we give you the food back. This is what happening, what's happening everywhere, of course. Yeah. This is what's happening with the sustainable development goals. It's to sustain the globalist goals and not self-sustainment on that the communities can sustain themselves on the contrary. Exactly, exactly. And I must say, I must say also there that I do believe that there is so much power, insights, also knowledge within a lot of collectives. Like when you look at the permaculture movement, there's a, that's so interesting to see how these people have been thinking for many years because they are actually now, they are giving answers already to some of our questions here. And we need to reclaim that. We need to reclaim that. This is one of my many ideas and uh, I'm, I'm going to see if, what I do with it. But at this point in time, I think for uh, springtime and summer, I want to go much more in confrontation with my local community, with the mm. city of Ghent and the people having the political power. They will tell me, Stephen, sorry, but you know, the masking and the this and the that, it's not our responsibility. They will try to open their mm. umbrella. But for me, it's so important that we say, no, 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 no. You are, you know, the representatives of an authoritarian state here. I will denounce you. I will ask you to really, as a human being, talk to me, look in my eyes and tell me, you know, do you support this authoritarian system that comes from up? Or are you helping the citizens of Kent, the citizens of local communities to stand up against this? You know? I, I don't know if I might make myself... Yeah, 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 because they're kind of like a capo is saying, like, I was just a prison guard because I was, exactly. I was told to do it, but you still guard in the prison every day and, you know, you're condoning it by doing it every day. What I don't see a possibility is, is in a political system because that's so fractioned, like, like, like fractured in Belgium and so many parties and then the politics, like every four years you vote and then you don't vote for the politician You vote for a party and that party mostly, you know, relies on like money and corporations. So it, I believe much more in movements that is past left and right, that is past like ideologies and a movement that then can influence society and politics. Because if you stay without the politics frame and then being on the media and debates, you're still doing it on a 
like a surf on a new feudal territory and doing your thing there. So I believe much more in like a second kind of not like the hippies, but a bit like the hippie movement, a second movement that organically originates from society and demands some civil responsibility, civic responsibility of the people in power to also take care of humanity and the people, because that is the great reset that organically starts within society. So I believe much more in a movement than politics. I, I completely uh, agree. I do believe we need to also, any movement at a certain point, you need to have a kind of facilitation of a translation of certain demands. You know, you, you need to have some people, some representatives that can also lobby for your interests on other levels. You know, there's always going to be a kind of a political role. You can completely define it differently with rotating roles and, and, and what have you not. But I think as long as we are in this system, I do believe movement building is the much the most important thing, civil disobedience, autonomous zones. And from there on, also go to politicians and remind them it is the duty of the politicians to obey the people. It is the duty of the politicians to obey the people and not the other way around. This is for me very important. But you need community. We need people getting together and, and I guess reinventing society and politics, you know, like there's so much education needed right now. I think that could be like a good thing in the long run to re-envision society and go back to the, the, the basic rescue values from the past and think what kind of future you would love to be having. Because everything that's going on right now, it's completely disproportionate. Like I said, the distancing, no proof that it works. The mask, no proof that it works. Lockdown, no proof that it works. The hospital beds, no dollar invested or you invested in enhancing the capacity if that truly was a problem. Like the mortality rate, 0.15, 0.23%, same as the flu. So whatever angle you look at this, this was actually not even necessary. <laughs> but if it was necessary, let's, let's use it to re-envision humanity. But this is so blown out of proportion. It is so disproportionate that everything that they're doing right now, it's so clear that there's a bigger agenda because if you would look at it sober, this doesn't make sense, this approach. We would have done the same thing if there would be a heavier flu season, which sometimes was there, which challenged the capacity of the hospitals. And sometimes it came a little bit in the news, but that was it. We just stayed inside when we were sick. We didn't visit the elder, you know, and then, you know, we went on with our lives. And we know that one day when we're old, when we're sick, when we have lifestyle issues, we could be dying by something and we're more prone to it. And we accepted that as a part of life. So everything that's going on right now, this is crystal clear after a year and two months. The measures are completely disproportionate and most don't work and are not even needed. Absolutely. But again, we're not going to win the war with just uh, rational arguments, I think. If people want to find out more about what you do in Dutch, if you have something in English, maybe some of my listeners and viewers could also check it out. Where can they find out more about what you do? I don't know. I'm, I'm changing my website, so I cannot make uh, propaganda for this already. On my Facebook, I guess, you know, people will have my name. Just search the name. Don't befriend the lovely baker. There's two steam the sangers <laughs> in the world. One is a, a really a sympathetic baker. It's the other one. It's the guy that looks a bit uh, like this, but with more beard on the Facebook profile. I have 2,000 more friendships to go before I reach the limit of 5,000. So the quicker you are on my Facebook page... Uh, the better. But not much in English for the moment. I, I thought a lot about it and maybe in the next years I do more English. But for me, the the acting, thinking globally, acting locally is most important. So first Flanders and, and then Europe and then the world uh, with not only me, but millions of great spirits, you know, like 
we are not alone. We are not alone. We are waiting. We are observing. We are choosing our battles. What is a hopeful message you could give to the world? And what is something that you think like we should invest energy, time and focus into these aspects in life at the moment and in the near future? Go search your own fear, your own shame and talk with your death. Death, Carlos Castaneda once uh, told me that death is your ally. It's next to you. And please say hello to your death every time. Because he will remind you on how precious life is, how precious contact is. We will not, we should not stay in the waiting room, you know, like living is now. We need to hug now. We need to really talk now. We have to express or we can express our, our, our feelings, our emotions, our desires, our needs, you know. This is the way forward. And then there is this great principle. And this is the principle that all these big powers, they don't want us to know that if we are autonomous beings, there is a kind of self-regulation within people that makes that we can actually have conflicts and still be friends. We can construct a society and we do not need these big mouths. We do not need these intellectuals with their blah, blah, blah. We just need people who look at the world, talk from their heart. And it works, you know, it's, I, I will believe the, the last day in that. And it's up to the people to choose if they want to join this soul tribe or not, you know? If not, it's it's pity for them. Amen. I'm glad that you stand up for something and not the left or the right. Whatever kind of movement wants to focus on human connection is more important than ever. And if you end up in jail, you will have a lot of interesting conversations with other people who also stand up. Sometimes maybe the on the short run, the most interesting conversations and people will be there. But this is not just about now. This is about the future and being able to look at yourself in the mirror and realizing that uh, you choose you, your community, and the future of us and coming generations. So thanks for taking a stand and willing to go into, in, inside the rabbit hole and change your perspective and inspire others. And I wish you all the best with all the great work that you're doing on an emotional, spiritual, and social level, Stephen. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.